RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. A minute ago, no Star Trek pals. Right now, Star Trek pals everywhere. Just look at them all. It's Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Yes, it is Mission Log Live. When you and John and I get together to talk about Star Trek, usually. Anyway, Star Trek does figure in. Here's how it goes. Usually we have a guest. We ask that guest questions. Then you ask the guest questions. Of course, the way you do that is, uh, you know, by asking the guest questions. Yes, this is where you come in. There are a few ways to do that. You can click on the link in our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can also call us. We sure love that. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Then you enter the meeting code that you'll find in the show description and the comments. And then the floor is yours. Floor not included. Joining us this week, Dave Rossi. He got his start behind the scenes on Next Gen, then worked all the way to the original series. I see you trying to do that math in your head. Don't worry about it. Dave's going to explain it all when he gets here. He'll actually explain it to you if you ask him to. And of course, you do that by joining our Zoom meeting using the one tap from your smartphone or calling 669-900-6833. Ken, you know what I like to do about now? I like to look at the Facebook chat and see who's joining us and who's talking. There's John, there's Cosmo, there's Carlos, there's Leslie, there's Paul, there's Kim, there's Lars, there's Aaron. There's so many people saying hi and a special shout out to one Tracy Lee Coco. As soon as I mentioned that Dave was going to be on the show, uh, just a bunch of hearts followed. She's very happy to be here. She's very happy to see Dave. And I bet Dave will be happy to see her as well. So thank you as always to everyone who is watching live on Facebook or maybe not YouTube tonight. Here it's not working. And thank you to the people who are catching the video later as well. Finally, thanks to the people who are listening to the audio only version of the show. It's not just about this show, though. Go over to the Roddenberry Podcast Network because there you will find, oh, I don't know, a network full of podcasts. They're all available, podcast.roddenberry.com. You got Mission Log, you got Mission Log Live, you got the Trek Files, Women at Warp, and Priority One. Collect them all at podcast.roddenberry.com. And finally, please, we have very fragile egos on this show. So whenever and wherever you're watching or hearing this show, head to the source, hit like, hit share, write a review, or give us five stars. Please share the love. Love is more than just a game for two. Ken, I think Paul McCartney wrote that. I think you think Paul McCartney wrote everything. I think he did. Didn't Paul McCartney write love? Love will keep us together. I think he yeah. gave it to the captain and to Neil. I think he did. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just keep saying that from now on. Head like a hole. Right. That was Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Know that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we've got a lot of stuff to tell you about coming up in realities, both virtual and otherwise. Um, I want to tell you about the thing that we're doing next in Sansar. It's next Thursday, actually. One week from two days from the time that I'm saying this. It is round two of Star Trek trivia. Round two. That's why we call it round two. If you haven't played Star Trek trivia with us, that's fine. This is the second round of a three-round qualifier that will end in December with the trivia, trivia rather, ward and all wars. Um, you know, it's not really that. I think I called it a blood sport at one point. It's really not that scary. Anyway, Mission Log Trivia for 2018 ends in December. You still have a chance to get in on that, though. Are there prizes? Yeah, there are prizes. 
Do you want to know what they are? Come play trivia. Now, on the 1st of November, uh, we're going to go inside Star Trek, which you may think we're already doing, but we're doing it in a different way. Uh, John Champion, Rod Roddenberry, me. We're picking tracks from the Gene Roddenberry album, Inside Star Trek. That's about an hour of audio, some of it tackling big ideas, some of it goofing around. We're just going to pull a few tracks off of that, uh, play them for the people who are assembled, and then you know, discuss some of the ideas there. I have said before, this is not going to be John saying, here's what's important about this, or Rod saying, here's what's important about this. It's going to be the three of us picking our favorite tracks, playing them, and then all of us just talking about, you know, everything from that is mind-blowing to that's one of the silliest things I've ever heard. So all of that happens in the... um, Actually, both of those things happen on the bridge that we have, the virtual bridge that we have, which is, of course, uh, at sensar.com. I talked about that before. That is a virtual reality platform. You don't have to have an HTC Vive or or an Oculus Rift to really take advantage of that. As long as you get a computer that will run, I think as far back as Windows 7, uh, you can actually do the... um, you can do sort of a browser-based, it's not browser-based because you do have to download an app. My point is, though, you don't have to have the whole rig. That is a lot of fun, but whether you've got the rig or not, we would love it if you came by. So October 25th for trivia, November 1st for Inside Star Trek, sansar.com. Go there, sign up for your account, absolutely free, and then you can come play with us. And then on this show, on Mission Log Live, well, of course, we'll continue to bring you great guests. We will continue to do Q&A with you. And then on November 6th, it's the next of Short Treks. That would be Calypso. So we'll be live on the 13th to talk to you about that and uh, kind of break down that episode. Then two more Trek shorts. December 6th, we have a story about Saru. January 3rd, a story about Harry Mudd. And then look, we go headlong into season two of Discovery. So be sure to join us every Tuesday night at seven o'clock right here at facebook.com slash mission log pod. And one more from Roddenberry Podcast Network. Go over to LarryNemichek.com. He has his exclusive Portal 47 access to behind the scenes materials, interviews, etc. He is doing his third open house. So he's welcoming everybody on October 24th. He will have special guest Renee Echeverria there. So go by and say hi to Larry. Say hi to Renee. That's on October 24th. But really, anytime is a good time to sign up at LarryNemichek.com. And now on to the poll. Ken, we asked a question last week. What did we ask? Uh, the, the question that we asked last week, uh, short tracks, watching or waiting? Short tracks, watching or waiting. It's amazing how evenly split this is. Uh, just over half, 51%, say they're actually watching short tracks as they happen. Uh, the other half, roughly, 49%, say they're actually waiting. My assumption is they're waiting until Discovery actually starts again. So instead of paying, I don't know, between 6 and 10 bucks you know, to watch 15 minutes of Star Trek once a month, my guess is a lot of those people are waiting until Discovery starts again. Then they'll have a full hour of Star Trek that we've already watched, and they can go back into season two. That's my guess. But of course, we didn't ask them. But if they want yeah, to email and say, yeah, that's what's going on, we'll be like, yeah, fine. Okay, great. Thanks. I, I think it's a good guess. And I would say that if you are missing them now, make sure that you don't miss them later, because at least the one fourth of them that we've seen so far, very entertaining. So I think there's something there. Now, this week, we're asking you in honor of our guest, who we'll meet in just mere seconds, original, original series or remastered original series? Well, 
26% of you say original, original series, a full 74% of you say remastered original series. Honestly, Ken, I thought it would be a little more evenly split than that. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised because I lean toward remastered original series, I have to say. I, yes, I also lean towards the remastered original series. Um, what I'm most disappointed about is you only have two choices because it really should be original, original, remastered original, or extra crispy original. But mm, yeah, sadly, there's only room for the two. That poll, by the way, is up for the next week. Original, original series or remastered original series. Uh, go to Mission Log Podcast, facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod, excuse me, facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod. Scroll down a couple and you'll find uh, the poll and then and then vote, you know, practice for when voting actually matters, please. <laughs> well said. Well, without further ado, let's meet the man who is responsible in a big way for the remastered original series. He's all the way from, well, somewhere nearby in Southern California, very often at the Paramount lot. His name is Dave Rossi, and he is the man who is in charge of all things Star Trek at Paramount. So let's meet him. Dave, how are you? I'm good, John and Ken. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Doing all right. Thank you for joining us tonight. I can't believe those poll numbers. What? All right. Well, well so now, what did you expect? Go ahead. I mean, yeah. forgive me, but yeah. John already said what he thought it would be. What did you think this split would be? Well, you know, when we first started doing Remastered, we made the mistake of going to the Internet and, and <laughs> reading <laughs> what people thought about us taking this on and. I can tell you the poll was quite reversed. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never do do that again. Do you think that has to do, because I was thinking about this before you were, I mean, knowing that you were coming on tonight, there has to have been a certain amount of trepidation because you were about to, you know, bring computers to bear on the original series. And a lot of people had to remember what happened when they brought more computers to bear on, uh, on another star franchise. Yeah, that's actually how this all started. Um, I, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just jump in. Um, yeah. The, the, the whole premise of doing this was not because uh, CBS, you know, uh, just had this jewel. They wanted to simply get it back into syndication and no one would buy it. The advertisers would not come on board because it was just too old of a show and and I can tell you, if you sit anyone, you know, under 40 in front of the original series as it was, you get a lot of guffaws and a lot of laughter. And, you know, uh, even for the exteriors, certainly the the production value, but, you know, the exteriors and uh, a lot of the planet shots and things. But it's just it's not not the same. There's, you know, the video games are just way more advanced than they are today. And so... Uh, they had a, a couple of different ideas. And so it was, a, I was approached by a gentleman named uh, David LaFontaine, who was a, uh, an SVP at uh, CBS syndication. And we had lunch and he said, so we have a couple of ideas. One of them was to replace the music. And I said, well, you know, I don't think that's necessarily going <laughs> to fly. Um, and, and replace, I mean, remaster, redo all the scores. Uh, but I, I didn't think that was, I, I didn't see any reason to really do that. Then the next one was the visual effects. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, just exteriors, anything exterior. So ships, planets, uh, redo that. And I said, you know, 
George Lucas just went through this and this is, you know, you're, you are just begging for trouble. And, uh, they had, I, I, he had like three or four more ideas. I, I don't remember what they were. They're very minor, but, uh, but he kept writing on the, on the visual effects thing. I said, you, you're going to alienate every fan that you have by doing this. It's you, you, you don't understand what you're getting into by doing that. He said, well, do me a favor. We're, we're going to move on one of these suggestions. So take a couple weeks and think about it and come back and, and then let's talk about it some more. But at that point, I'm going to pull the plug on something. and I'd love your input. And I said, okay. So I went back and I, you know, it, I didn't like any of these ideas. And so when we, when we met back for lunch uh, again, he, he said, so what do you think? And I said, listen, David, I, I have to tell you that I uh, swing and a miss on all of this. I, I, I think of all of it, the worst idea is the visual effects. And he said, well, what if you found somebody that could produce this and, and have a little reverence for the show? And I said, you're, who are you going to find? That's a, you're going to hire a visual effects person, producer. They're going to want the enterprise to do barrel rolls. I mean, once you have these toys, people are just, the visual effects become the driver. And that's the biggest mistake you could have, especially for this series. Uh, you know, you never want the, the audience to, to forget that the crew is in jeopardy. You never want, you know, you don't want anything to take anything away from that and from that story. I said, so I, if you, you know, good luck finding somebody who, who would give it that reverence. And he said, how about you? And I said, okay. <laughs> it, was, nice. it was kind of that fast. Um, but I was shocked that, that he had, he had offered it. And, uh, and I, I said to him, you know, do do we really have? If I do this, do I really have the the uh, freedom to maintain it the way that I I think we should maintain it? And he said, yeah, it'll be your your thing. And I said, well, I you know I had just started uh, a new job with the Paramount Parks division, and I was uh, there was a threat of a lot of travel, and I I said to him, well, I'll need to bring someone in to help me out doing this. I said, I can produce it. I said, but I obviously need help. And he said, you know, whoever you want, but the budget is the budget. And I said, okay, understood. Uh, <laughs> passion project. So, um, <laughs> so of course, uh, I mean, the first person I actually went to was Darren Doctorman. I don't know if you guys know. Oh, sure. Well, Darren. he worked on the, uh, the uh, motion picture. Um, yeah. it, they did that director's cut, which is fantastic. Um, I, I thought they did a, such a nice job on, on cleanup and new effects. And it was all supervised by Robert Wise. So that, that's exactly. primarily what I think of his connection to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so Darren, uh, uh, Darren and I have known each other for years. And, uh, and so I thought he would be great to do the visual effects, but coming in to, to help, I, you know, the Okudas obviously popped to mind and we were actually working together at the time on the, uh, we were identifying all these Star Trek assets for the ultimate CBS um, uh, auction that they had um, when they sold off everything that was in all these warehouses around Southern California. So Mike and Denise had brought me in to help uh, do the identification work for that. And that's when this landed in my lap. And of course, now, look, I'm a Star Trek fan, but I am a Star Trek fan in the sense... I'm not a... Uh, uh, I am not a production person, per se, in that I studied, and I uh, that was my career path. I, I came out here, and um, 
you know, this will earn bricks through my front window, but I had no intention of becoming uh, part of Star Trek, even though it was an enormous part of my life. I, I happened into it. Um, but as far as knowing Star Trek in that production way, you know, Mike Okuda is right there at the top, mm-hmm. understanding what, you know, the, the intent was and what Matt Jeffries thought. I mean, he is, hey, I've had conversations yeah. with these people. And so it was important that I have somebody on board who understood that uh, right away. Um, and so, of course, Mike and Denise came on board and and we were off and running. And, uh, and we started with Gary Hutzel, uh, who... Uh, as a longtime Star Trek visual effects person who then went on to do Battlestar Galactica. Um, he, uh, unfortunately passed away in the last few years, but, um, uh, but we had Gary on board and the stuff and Doug Drexler was working for him at the time. I mean, it was a dream team. Uh, and it was, they sent some tests of the enterprise that were just, I mean, they just blew us away. It was amazing. And, um, and then we got a very, angry phone call from Gary at uh, one morning uh, saying that he had been removed from the project. And we, uh, Mike and I had no idea what was going on. So we, we went to CBS and apparently some executive at CBS had heard that we were doing this project and said, you can't use an outside firm. You have to use our inside um, house visual effects company, CBS digital, which, you know, we'd never, we'd never heard of CBS digital. Uh, and so we wanted Gary and, and the idea of using this untried small visual effects company that had never done anything regarding Star Trek, let alone space, um, scared the hell out of us. And so the only way we could get around it is if CBS digital declined to take the job. And so we put together a budget and a schedule that was so insane. (laughs) We we put together this schedule for the first week that we told them, I think that we needed to have the first four episodes done in a month. (laughs) And they had no assets. So as far as, you know, they needed to build the enterprise. They needed to, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a nightmare. And so we, we show up at this meeting and we're quite confident, you know, right. That we're going to shock the hell out of them. And so we get into this room and it was the head of CBS digital. Who's a a guy named Craig Weiss and their visual effects, their uh, top supervisor, a guy named uh, Neil Ray, who ended up being quite honestly, the hero of this whole story. Um, and then there was this other guy, and I, I don't remember his name, but he was this executive over Craig Weiss who just stood in the doorway in this kind of shady area. You know, if he would have had a cigarette, he would have been like the smoking man from X-Files, you know. And he just stood there silently while we had this conversation. And and finally, we said, well, look, guys, it comes down to this. We need the first four episodes done in this amount of time. This is what the budget is. Uh, and And this is when we need to have the thing completed. And Craig turned over to this, looked over at this guy in the doorway and the guy in the doorway just goes. <laughs> and Craig goes, okay, we'll do it. And Mike and I were like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what do you mean we'll do it? And they, we cooked our own goose. So we, uh, so we had to, we had to uh, go with CBS digital and amazing. And frankly, it, it, 
no offense to uh, certainly uh, what Gary and, and Doug would have brought to the table, but the amount of free work we got out of CBS Digital, the amount of added material that they did for us was insane. I mean, you know, the original contract was very sketchy in that it never specified how many shots. It just said replace original series exterior ship shots. So CBS Digital approached it like, well, there are 17 of those shots that they use over and over and over and over. And then a couple of episode specific shots. So in their mind, that's what they were doing. They were doing maybe 25, 30 shots and, and some, and some uh, exterior planet stuff. Um, Of course, for Mike and I, it it was, you know, uh, we want 300 shots of the enterprise. I mean, we want, you know, (laughs) we want every shot to be different. And so, uh, the first two episodes we needed to to do, uh, and, and the budget was less than a million dollars, less than a million dollars to do 80 episodes, do 79 episodes uh, and replace every, all the visual effects. Wow. Yeah. Which is yeah. really crazy. <laughs> um, so CBS digital staffed up, they started going to get them going. Mike put them in touch with a fan who had a digital model of the enterprise that we could purchase to use to start while CBS digital built their own to use. And the, the model that they purchased was so detailed that the rendering time, it took like four hours for, you know, a second to, to be oh, done. Wow. And so, yeah. so that's what, I mean, CBS digital really, uh, they, their backs were up against it. They threw everything they had at this. And, and then of course, every time Mike and I would come to them with a new episode breakdown. So though, I mean, the way it worked was uh, I had, I don't know, even episodes and Mike had odd episodes or something. And we would each screen them on our own uh, and write down the in and out time codes for every visual effect. And then we'd get together and talk about what do we really want to see here? Now mm-hmm. the caveat was we were tied to every time code. So if a shot was a second and a half long of the enterprise, that's what we had to work with. So, um, you know, the, 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 there wasn't anything too meaty that we could get into, but, but we tried to give every single shot something different, something new, a different look at the enterprise, a different approach, being closer to it, being further away from it, whatever, whatever we could do. Um, and, you know, we had these little enterprise models that we would, you know, run by our faces and look if you could, you know, just, you know. <laughs> and so we would bring these Excel sheets into CBS Digital. And Neil Ray, who, uh, who understood that he understood what we were trying to do. So he would look at these shots and he'd say, okay, we're going to do that. And then we'd say, you know, um, in this episode, Scotty fires a phaser at a bulkhead and there's no beam what would it take to just add a beam to, no, which is way outside of the scope of the work that we were doing. And he would say like, well, if we can get to it, we will. And sure enough, they would. What if we could get the Gorn to blink? You know, if just maybe <laughs> once, twice, just something to get, uh, you know, when Norman lifts up his shirt and opens his stomach. I mean, Robot guts. Yeah. It, yeah. It looks like a Sanyo radio in there or something. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> is there anything we, you know, and yeah. so all these little, these little things Neil would champion for us and they were getting killed. I mean, they were, they were on the verge of bankruptcy about halfway through this thing. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and we got a, an inf- a small infusion of money um, because uh, Sony was, was heralding Blu-ray, but Toshiba was going after something called uh, HD, H- DVD. HD DVD. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so they came to us, Toshiba came to us and said, we'd love to feature some Star Trek episodes as the first thing on HD DVD. So uh, if we give you X amount of dollars, could you, you know, really uh, kick up your production a little bit and get us X amount of episodes that we could put on a, you know, I think they wanted to release. I don't know what it was. I don't remember season one, season two, something. Um, And to show off the branching and the different abilities and what HD do. So we, we took the money and and we did it and they ended up losing the battle and, and Blu-rays here. But I, I remember getting uh, screeners of those and uh, never once being able to watch them because they were in DVD. <laughs> so great, thanks guys. Beautiful packaging, right? Exactly. <laughs> my shelf for ten years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, they're real collector's items now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so so we did that, and then at one point uh, the 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 rubber really hit the road and, and, and Craig at CBS digital uh, called a meeting with the uh, president then of the, uh, I don't know if he still is of uh, CBS television city. And we had to go in there and kind of talk about the status of this project and what everybody understood. And, uh, and it was a very uncomfortable meeting. I mean, we went in and Craig said, listen, here's the contract. This is what it says. We assumed it was going to be this. And every week we get, you know, a hundred different shots for requests and we're expecting two. And so, you know, we were, I think about almost done with the second season at this point. And, and this, uh, this guy turned to me and he said, so what, what, what are you doing about this? These guys aren't made out of money. And I just, uh, I don't know. I channeled a little Captain Kirk and I made a very passionate plea. And uh, I said, listen, the, you know, the reason you're doing this is obviously so you can get it back on the air so that, you know, your advertisers will pay for it. They're not going to pay for, because you replaced 17 shots. Uh, and the other thing is you're, you're going to be introducing an entire new generation of viewers to something that they can actually stomach because, you know, as much as I would love my kids to sit down in front of the original series of Star Trek and love it as much as I do, they laugh when they see the enterprise. So, you know, you're, you, you're losing, you have a a whole new revenue stream here that you can introduce into the market by doing this, but you have to do it. You have to commit to do it. And that's what, that's what the premise was. And, uh, and he agreed, but he said, but he put a, a, a quite a few limits on what we could do. And it wasn't, <laughs> anything, you know, so it wasn't 150 shots anymore. But, uh, but, but we were able to add, continue to add new shots uh, if they were episode specific. And so we, we kind of, you know, we got our hands slapped a little, but uh, 
but we were still able to do a lot. And thanks to Neil, I mean, we, we, we got in so much more than anyone else would have done it purely for my, I mean, they did it. It was free. It was free work that they were doing uh, based on, if you think about what that budget was and the amount of material we had them do, um, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty amazing. I mean, look at, I mean, even just for the shot. I, mean, I remember the first meeting they came to us and said, what is the most difficult shot in the show? We need to start working on that right now, no matter when it's going to, no matter when it's going to be presented or aired, we need to know what that is. And Mike immediately said, uh, it's a shot from the cage. It's a shot where they come in the enterprise going into the bridge, right? Going into the bridge of the enterprise. And so they, you know, they, uh, if you go and look at what they did with that shot, um, for the money and for the time it's, they did a, a bang up job. It looks really good. And, uh, uh, and so anyway, that, that's kind of how it all, that's kind of how it all shook out. Six, six, nine, nine hundred, six, eight, three, three is the phone number to call six, six, nine, nine hundred, six, eight, three, three. Or you can uh, join our zoom meeting or you can use the one top from your smartphone. Uh, you know how to get in touch with us. You know, who knows how to get in touch with us? Uh, Will, Will is on the line and he has a, uh, he has a question that he'd like to, uh, to bring to the floor. How's it going, Will? It's going great, Ken. How are you guys doing tonight? I think we're doing, I think we're doing well. I, I'm feeling pretty good, John. Feeling good, looking good, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> What's your question, Will? Thanks for having me. Uh, well, I think Dave, in his presentation of the backstory there, answered two of my questions. I, I know, know why things came to pass, it wasn't the Guardian. It was because of the cigarette smoking man and he, him channeling Jim Kirk. See, now all my questions <laughs> have been answered. I, I feel much wiser now um, because I did feel, um, and I, I guess my question is, is, um, and if I can throw a little backstory in, uh, for years I sold televisions. I was there when Toshiba rolled out the HD DVD and we knew a lot about this before it came to market because of their little, like John said, he got the screeners that he couldn't play. But we also had stuff that was coming to us in the sales field. Um, and I was actually there when we set up the display uh, for all of our HD TVs playing uh, the remastered HD DVD uh, in, in the store for the demo. And uh, we actually had little credit cards with the Star Trek HD DVD Toshiba credit cards uh, in our location of sales reps. And um, I guess my question was, um, Dave, what what was the 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 rush with this? I always felt like when they remastered this thing, and that. One, they didn't want to throw enough money at it. And now you said the budget was a mere million dollars. You know, this was a property that had netted Paramount since its inception about a billion. So I, I, I don't understand why the wanting to throw peanuts at it, like it wasn't the thing that had built the empire. And two, what was the, what was the rush? Why, why couldn't, why couldn't they have taken the time to hire on Doug and uh, other individuals who, if instead of, say, trying to crank these 80 episodes out in such a short period of time, um, that it would have been done over a greater span of time, maybe two or three years, so that uh, 
we we could pay more attention uh, to the details and the demands that you and Mike were trying to achieve. I guess I'll start there. Well, uh, the first part of the question is why did it have to happen so quickly? And it had to happen so quickly because as as we were finishing, epi- we were trying to we were trying to meet the schedule air dates for syndication that CBS had bargained for in their deals with, with the advertisers. So um, the rush was as we were finishing episodes, especially in that first season, um, they were, they were being, you know, transmitted oftentimes the night before or the day of airing. Um, And so you know, there, the, the question was, could we do it? And, and once we said, yeah, we can, we can do this, that then all, all bets were off. So that was probably, you know, our mistake, but, but they, the schedule was going to be the schedule. They wanted to hit that syndication air date schedule. That's where the advertisers were lined up for. And so that's what we were locked into. So that's why it had to be as, uh, as quick as it, as it did. Um, as far as, you know, respect for the show and what the budget was going to be, you know, the money for doing something like this, this is, uh, back then it it was kind of a vanity project for them. Um, uh, maybe, maybe that's the wrong word because that sounds a little, uh, that sounds like there was an excess of, of things available to do it. But, uh, but the syndication department at CBS was flipping the bill for this. Now, if they could have gone in and said, hey, home video, you throw in some and hey, you guys, you throw in some and you. But that's not the way that the corporate world works often. Um, if we would have maybe had a chance early on to go in and pitch this as an idea, we might have been able to sway them to change it and to add more money to the budget. But we were coming in late, unfortunately. The, the, the deals were already being made they wanted to get the syndication thing done. And as soon as they realized, yes, we can do the visual effects, they, they signed the deal and it was off to the races. So it was a, just a matter of, it was just a matter of kind of bad timing in, in, in a lot of ways, but, but we agree. I mean, would we have loved to have spent a year in pre-production before filming a single thing? Absolutely. I mean, we were, we were testing colors of the enterprise uh, and how how we wanted to color it. We were doing those kinds of tests as we were doing shots. I mean, it was crazy. It was a, a really uh, hectic, tense schedule up front until, uh, especially with, with uh, CBS Digital's uh, in, not only inexperience with what they were working with, but also that digital model of the enterprise really hampered them. So until they could create something that worked uh, a lot faster as far as rendering times. It was a, it was a very painful, stressful um, time. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for calling in tonight and, uh, and give us a call back again sometime. Okay. Thanks for having me guys. Take care. Thanks a lot. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three, or you can join the Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or just pick up the phone. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three. Our guest tonight is Dave Rossi. We'll be back to Dave in just a moment, but first, but first. 
A word from Eagle Boss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Discovery is back, folks. Eagle Boss wants you to get a discovery of your own, as well as a slew of ships from the latest Star Trek series, all part of the Eagle Moss Discovery Starships collection. Oh, oh, like this little guy right here, the USS Shenzhou. Do you have a Shenzhou there? I'm sorry. I'm, oh. I, I'm watching the delay now. I feel. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, just, right there. oh there it is. Except like 20 uh, seconds ago. Uh, this is why I shouldn't have Facebook open. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, so there's the Shenzhou and that's what you're going to start off with. But honestly, there are just a ton of ships that you're going to be able to, well, I was going to say take advantage of. That you're going to be able to welcome into your own uh, personal spaceport. Uh, on the uh, Federation side, you do have the Shenzhou, which John just showed you. Of course, you have the Discovery, which is right over my shoulder right there uh, for people who are able to see this. You got the Corella. You got the Europa. I mean, you've got a bunch of really great ships coming your way. Um, then on the Klingon side, you've got the newly imagined Bird of Prey. You've got the Kach-class destroyer. Oh, well said, well said. Thank you very much. You got a whole lot more coming in. I was drinking lots of milkshake before the show just so I could do that. Good. Good job. So here's what you do. If you go over to EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships, you will see the renderings that serve as the basis for those diecast models themselves, painstakingly reproduced, as always, under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. You know, Ken, we, we've had Ben, we got Dave, we've had Larry, which is uh, all the Trek experts. We just get them into a room and set the thing where you tie their wrists together and no, that's a whole other thing. All right. So these models are officially authorized by CBS Studios. They're roughly 8 to 10 inches from bow to stern. They're hand-painted, and they are oh-so-detailed. Each comes with an awesome magazine full of real-world and end-universe information, and each comes with a display stand suitable for displaying your ships. Um, by the way, I've got a bunch of the stands behind me as well for people who are able to see. You can see they really just... Boy, do they stand. Now, subscribers will get their first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery NCC-1031, uh, will ship monthly for the special subscriber's price of only $44.95. That is 20% off the standard retail price, and that also includes free shipping. Now, if you would rather pick and choose your ships, you can do that. You can go to shop.eaglemoss.com or check out your local comic book shop. You'll pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers get free gifts worth over 100 bucks during their subscription. And of course, you can cancel your subscription at any time. So to subscribe, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. To buy individually, shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. I know we want to get onto other topics, but there was a point that came up in, um, in the, the Facebook chat earlier. See, it's a good thing that I had it open just for that much time. Just for that moment, yeah. Uh, our friend Scott Palm said that he always felt like the remasters of TOS were basically just getting as close as you could to the vision that the creators at the time would have wanted to have. I mean, he said Gene Roddenberry specifically, but 
I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, you, you talk about what happened with Star Wars, and he didn't just go in and clean up effects. I mean, the fact is, one of the effects that has always driven me mad in Empire Strikes Back is still there, even after the remaster. He didn't just go in and, like, you know, uh, clean things up. He actually started coloring other things in that hadn't been there before. Uh, to Will's point, do you wish you had more time to do that? I, I am really coming to a question. When we talked in the in the past about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, one of the things amazing about that was they wanted to get it done quick. They wanted to get it done for less money. They 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 wanted to make a, a good thing, but they wanted to make it, you know, they didn't have as much time to worry about it in a way. I mean, was it was it the 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 short amount of time that you had, Dave, that that kept you so true to what had been on screen but better? Was it your reverence for it? I mean, was it a combination of all of the above? Do you think do you think the the smaller budget and the quicker time frame might have actually served the production well? Well, uh Mike and Denise and I had a conversation uh early on before we actually started, and it was this exact thing. I mean, it was um you know, because as we started going, we realized we would run into things like, can you see a tractor beam? Uh, you know, what color should the phasers be? I mean, why do they keep, they change from season to season in the original series, but what color should they be? And so we, we would run into these little things and, and uh, uh, that we have to debate upon. But the overall idea that we had was that we wanted to be reverent to what they had put on before. And we were also, quite frankly, all of us, a little afraid of the slippery slope. Um, you know, you have these two, and, and that's not to say that um, CBS Digital didn't want to stretch their legs a little bit. I mean, we would come up with shots and uh, and they would really want to. Like one of the things that they wanted to do uh, was as the series went on, slowly make changes to the enterprise so that you can see where it goes in Star Trek, the motion picture. So for instance, in the third season of the show, could the deflector dish be the deflector dish that's on the enterprise from the motion picture, you know? So there were, there were these little kind of uh, things that CBS digital wanted to do, but we, we really, it, it came down to being afraid of, of, of ourselves. Um, because there were times when we would talk about episodes and, um, and somebody would say, Oh, what if, you know, and you'd be really jazzed about it. And the other two people would kind of, you know, no, 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 remember, remember, remember. And, um, and so looking back at it now, I think we all probably would have wanted to stretch our legs a little bit more. We could have done more. Um, but, but we're also we're also really happy with what we finally ended up with, and um, you know we we introduced a lot more shots of the Enterprise. We introduced uh, um, some of the shots, like you know in in Space Seed um, with the Botany Bay. I mean things like that, things of the you know like the uh, the constellation getting hit by an asteroid or getting hit by a, a piece of, of debris. Um, things like that, that's where we felt we're, we're, we're giving a little more texture to what's happening here. Um, rather than again, as I said, you know, having the enterprise do barrel rolls as it's firing its phasers or, you know, something 
something like well, that. Hey, to, to that point, one of our uh, listeners in the chat asks, is there something you really wanted to do that you just didn't get to do? Um, you know, we, <laughs> we did something that, um, that, well, let me, let me go back a little bit in, in a muck time. We um, took out a shot, a, a reaction shot of a character, so that we could add the sequence of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beaming down to the planet and walking over this uh, this kind of bridge between these elevated mountainous areas and the and the uh, and the sacred pond far ground, right. and. It was a shot that, you know, no one has complained. No one misses the shot. No one, everybody kind of likes what we did. But there are times where the shots were so short that you never really had a chance to be meaty with them. You never really had a chance to, I mean, we really had to try and, um, we really had to try and, be creative within the, within the structure that was presented to us. And so is there something that if I went back, I would probably find 30 shots where I, where I could answer that question and say, you betcha, I would have loved to have done certain things, but, um, but you know, I mean, things like, um, things like the Fasarius, um, which, is very what what we ended up getting out of it was very cool, but I think things in there could have been a lot more dynamic. I think that uh, uh, the shot of the Enterprise um, flying around the sun to to go back in time, I think that could have been a much cooler thing. I mean, there's there's yeah, there's there's things you're always going to want to do that are better, but. Um, but again, ultimately, we were pretty happy with it. Hey, uh, we have a caller standing by. He has the very curious name of John. John, are you there for us? Of course I'm here. Hey. Hey, how's it going, John? It's good. Hey, Dave, brother, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a long time. Um, listen, the first, right off the bat, uh, a few minutes ago, you said that one of the goals for the remastered uh, TOS series was to get it back on the air and to get it back on the air in a, in a format with, with effects that look relevant and current. And dude, you achieved your goals. I mean, first off the bat, I wanted to thank you for your work on the remastered series because really there are Trekkies today that the remastered edition of TOS is their Star Trek. That's, that's, that is, that's my daughter is a perfect example. I have a seven-year-old daughter who through probably a little bit of my influence, but mostly on her own, she found it on her own. She found TOS on uh, the syndicated heroes and icons package. It airs every night. And the first show that airs in that block of Star Trek episodes is the remastered TOS. Did there, there are up and coming generations of Trekkies today that are finding the franchise and finding this thing that they are going to love as they grow up. And it's directly attributable to the work on the remastered series. No, that's really kind. Thank you. 
Well, I, you know, no, thank you. Because, uh, again, it kept TOS, uh, you know, on an even keel with the other series uh, that came after it. You know, it, it allows kids to access it. So, you know, thank you so much for that. But that is, you know, mutual admiration society and praise uh, out of the way. Um, Paramount Parks, I'm watching the other franchise, we'll call it, uh, on the other side of the house, building these immersive worlds where people are going to be able to walk around in in the worlds and the fandoms that they love. And I'm I just got to ask, where is that for Star Trek? What do we as Trekkies have to do to drag Star Trek kicking and screaming into a world that I can walk around in? Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not getting any younger, and I just need it. I hear you. <laughs> uh, well. Thanks, the- the uh, the short of the answer is uh, Paramount and CBS are two separate companies now. And for those of you who don't know the, the history of the, the companies, very quickly, um, Paramount and CBS were both entities under the Viacom umbrella. And uh, Viacom was the overriding company. And then um, sometime in the early 2000s, I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, Viacom brought CBS and Paramount together as one company and it didn't go as well as they had planned. And so in 2005 or six or something, they split the companies back up, but CBS is no longer under the Viacom umbrella. It's its own company under another parent company. And when the two companies split for whatever reason, uh, the entities who made that deal said that anything that had more TV than film should go to CBS. And so CBS got not only Star Trek, but um, years and years and years of television that Paramount owned all going back to happy days and cheers and, you know, all this stuff that was just kind of taken from the studio and given to CBS because of that rule. Um, And so, CBS is the owner of Star Trek right now. Now, we have a great relationship with CBS, and our my division, Paramount Parks and Resorts, uh, we don't own or operate or build theme parks. We simply license out the Paramount name and our intellectual properties to, to other uh, to entities that want to build and theme a theme park. And so Star Trek always, because CBS is kind of a cousin and we have a great relationship with them, um, whenever the opportunity arises for us to include Star Trek in one of these projects, we do. The problem is uh, we don't control how far these projects go as far as investment money and uh, the planning and all of that, that. That relies on the developer. And oftentimes these deals go sideways for one reason or another. And so you don't get these theme parks being built overseas that have, that have these elements, but we are always, trust me, pushing uh, uh, to do it. And we, again, we have a great relationship with CBS. They don't have a parks division. And so, uh, so we have a, a, a great relationship for, for those, but it's just waiting for the right project. And I know everyone has seen these things, you know, there's going to, somebody's going to build a, a starship enterprise in Vegas. And, you know, there's all these rumors going on, but, uh, and I heard there was one about universal in Orlando or something. Um, it, none of that is, none of that's come to 
to pass. And, and it's all because the developers or the people trying to get these deals going can't find the investment money to do it or, or they lose the land or whatever the reason is. Uh, but, but rest assured that as long as I draw breath, I bring the idea of doing some kind of Star Trek something to every project that we do. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold it to it, man, because I'm not really going to be happy until my mailing address includes deck five. Uh, you know, Fair enough, Captain. Quarters. So, I mean, until that happens, I'm just, you know, every, just expect a call from me about once every year on this topic. So, you know, until it happens. Anyway, I'll let you get to it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank John. you very much. You know, I appreciate it. I got it really quickly. I got to say, uh, Dave, I, I have actually had an idea for a Star Trek attraction for a while. Discussed it with a couple of friends of mine. I don't remember if I've ever said it here on the show, though. But you get in line, and then a couple of Klingons sort of like shove you out of the way in line. And then for the whole time that you're in line, you're discussing with the Klingons why it is that what they did was not necessarily the way they should be. And that's pretty much the ride. That's a very next generation <laughs> approach to. It is, uh, it is very much <laughs> really like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is very What's much, it called, yeah. Ken? What's the name of the attraction? It doesn't really matter. That's you know, that's uh, the experience. <laughs> that's the hook, is the experience, that's the right? That's well, yeah. It's called negotiate. Call it's called negotiate, and then keep negotiating. Because right. exactly. exactly. what you do, you get in line, and then you talk, and you yeah. talk, and yeah. you talk some more. And then you're good. Hey, uh, the Star lightning Trek round's coming Picard up in just a moment. Yeah, the Picard is ready room. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Too. Call it no. Call it the cyclone. Call it whatever. Because by the time you get to the <laughs> end of it, fair enough. People raging realize that what really right, raging water is right. The Galileo's <laughs> edge, maybe. Call it that if you want to. Okay. Hey, uh, the lightning round is coming up in just a moment. But first, I got something for everybody to do afterwards. You're you're familiar with the lightning round. I'm. I'm sure, Dave. Oh, oh so uh, you know, it's funny. I saw Dave a few weeks ago, and we didn't mm. actually. Uh, it just there were other things. Oh, and, didn't come up. Didn't come up. No. Yeah, that'll happen. Hey, uh, yeah. so we'll get to the lightning round in just a moment. First, though, I want to let people know about something to do after this show. Uh, Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, is also going to be going live. 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern. Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. It's TV and movie news. It's gaming news. It's literary reviews. Just a ton of stuff that they want to talk to you about. So they kick off at 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern. Don't touch that mouse or trackpad or phone or tablet, except to redirect your web viewing device to facebook.com slash priority one podcast. Settle in for Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, streaming live as it happens, facebook.com slash Priority One podcast. Wait, 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 Ken, 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 yeah, Dean, yeah. Dean of the chat says Deep Space Line. Deep Space Line. <laughs> That's, come on. That wins. That's, That's pretty nice. great. That's Dean, very good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Although, although the problem with that line is you get to the end of it and you're really not sure whether what you did was right or not. See, there you go. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Uh, so, so Dave, I know you said you watched last week's show. What's funny is I think last week we ended up missing the lightning round. So you have not seen the magic that is about to happen to you. I have not. Um, yeah, having lived in the West, though, as I tend to say, I feel fairly certain you have the idea of a lightning round down. We throw something at you. You throw it back to us really quickly. Simple question, simple answers. Are you ready to play? Of course you are. John, hit it. Here we go, Dave. Who's your engineer? Scotty. All right. What's your favorite warp speed? Three. 
Nice. You can go to one planet from Star Trek. Which one is it? Capella. Date night, Dave. Whoa. Arboretum or Ten Forward? Ten Forward. Favorite Star Trek antagonist? Core. Man, favorite tech from Star Trek? Data. Oh, that is, nice. wow. That is nice. a new answer that we've never gotten. Well done. China, Porthos, or Spot? Porthos. And finally, have you ever been to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada? No. Okay, that's fine. Okay. You're, you're, you're honestly, yeah. we were very surprised the first time anybody said yes, and now we're not surprised when people say yes or no. It's just a thing we do. Yeah, we, we like to call it a bit. <laughs> it is. It is a bit. Hey, uh, since we're, we're, we're up against the clock here, but uh, since we've been on the topic of uh, uh, parks and resorts and all of that, uh, just real quickly, you actually came into Star Trek The Experience, but later, right, with the, uh, the Borg invasion, or, or were you there from the beginning? No, I was there from the beginning. Uh, that okay. was uh, part of my duties as supervisor of Star Trek projects, and the way that worked was Rick, was, uh, Rick Berman was dealing with a lot on his plate at the time. And, uh, and so he realized that I was uh, not only a, an enormous Star Trek fan, but that I could see the difference between making fan decisions and making more business decisions. And so he created that position for me. And that was one of the first projects that actually uh, came to me. And so uh, Rick worked with, I believe it was Renee and, Ken Biller maybe on the script uh, for it. And then, um, and then they, we started rolling with it and I became the contact person for the Paramount parks people, which is how I met them. And they approached me later in 2006 and uh, asking if I'd like to work with them after Star Trek had ended for me. And so, uh, because they had remembered that experience um, of working on, on the, on Vegas thing. And, uh, and last question before we have to say goodbye, I'm afraid. So I, I'm just curious. Uh, we don't have the experience anymore. Uh, the, the TOS remasters are done. The TNG remasters are done. Um, what, what does a, a Star Trek expert at Paramount do on the day-to-day now? Uh, not much with Star Trek, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, like I said, we, we're always getting these projects in and, and there's always a lot of discussion about how we can include Star Trek into a lot of these these different things. And it's not just destination theme parks. It's single one off attractions. It's I mean, I've seen some pretty amazing things that that have been uh, made. It's just a matter of finding a place for them. Cool. All right. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. You know, Absolutely. You never know. You never know. Dave, I want to thank you very much for uh, for joining us tonight. It was really, it was, it was, it was really fascinating. And I mean, we spent so much time on the remaster. I'd love it if you could join us again sometime. I would love to. Thank you so much. Very cool. In the meantime, I want to remind everybody that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to check out the Mission Log shop. Just go to missionlogpodcast.com and click on shop. Our classic and new designs are there. Trek-ish gear for you. Just hit the shop at missionlogpodcast.com. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. 
thanks to everybody who joined us live or later. We will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.